Hi, I'm Michelle, and I wanted to be an actress when I grew up. Hi, my name is Eric, and when I was a kid, I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. And today... <laughs> today, we are co-founders of Fury Sport. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guests today are Eric Matelier and Michelle Spiro, co-founders of Fury Sport. The New York natives met in the summer of 2014, bonding over a common passion for tennis, business, fashion, and community building. As they talked, they started to envision a place where sport and city life meet. Beginning with a technologically advanced but inclusively priced tennis racket, they reimagined a world where there are no barriers to play. They designed bags that are both functional and fashionable, synonymous with city style. And they pictured a new generation of young people with access to a more equitable future through partnerships with urban sports programs in underprivileged neighborhoods. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Eric and Michelle. Good morning. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Good morning. This is super exciting for me. I recently also spoke with uh, Racket Mag publisher, Caitlin Thompson, who I know is a big fan of, of Fury. And so it's a real treat to have this all come yes. full circle here now. My, my favorite <laughs> thing to ask entrepreneurs is, what was the tipping point for you both or the series of tipping points where you finally got to a point that you said, you know what, we have to do this ourselves? Because what I've noticed in entrepreneurs is they, they get to a level where it's like, no, I don't want to just fix this for myself or just continue with the way things are going. We feel passionate enough about this that we actually want to you know, try to change it ourselves for every, to everyone's benefit. So what was, that, what was that like for you? What was the inspiration behind Fury and how did it get to a point where you said, we're going to try it? I'll let Michelle um, tell us, start off because she's the one that actually came to me with the idea. So, um... Well, I like to call myself a recovering fashion executive. So I was in the fashion industry for 25 years for major brands that everyone knows, Donna Karen, Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren. And so I was really brought up in the industry and um, Superstorm super Sandy came and trapped me in my apartment for three days. And the company that I was working for that had Calvin Klein at the time was sold to the company that had the rest while I was on the roof watching the National Guard. And it was sort of at that moment that I was like, it's really time to change my life. So <laughs> I, I took a few years. Um, Clearly, I left the company after it was sold and took a few years to figure things out. I moved abroad, et cetera. And then I really started to watch a change um, in the fashion industry, especially, and it was in streetwear. And what I loved about it is that I had grown up in a luxury world where how much money you had defined, you were defined, everything you carried in your, your pocketbook, your clothes, your whatever, it, it all defined how much money you had. And with streetwear, it was more about being part of a community and being in the know. And I thought the currency is changing here. And, and how, how does fashion grow with that? And I really started to look at what the successful streetwear companies that I admired were doing. And they were all based in a true community of something else, whether that be skateboarding, whether it be construction, 
whether it be extreme outdoors, and they never ever left that community, but they invited everybody else to be a part of it. And I thought tennis, which has always been a part of fashion, whether it be your tennis sweater or your tennis bracelet, or we all say tennis shoes, whether we are running or going somewhere, it's always tennis shoes, but nothing has ever been built as tennis as the foundation. And I thought this would be to bring tennis into sort of a streetwear world would be super interesting because they were kind of polar opposites. And Eric and I had been friends for over a year at that point, and I knew his story. And we were kind of the perfect combination to do this, as I was a corporate fashion person, and Eric was a serial entrepreneur. So that kind of was a, a beautiful pairing. But then I also know that tennis completely changed the trajectory of his life. And he was the epitome of what urban city tennis is. And so how do we bring that together to not only bring a brand that's authentic a story that is authentic but that it can also create a community that can ultimately help others and eric you played in college right you were a, you you were playing tennis yeah i played, you played d1. d1 tennis and so you 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 know you've tried your fair share of rackets i'm sure and it mm -hmm. probably took a good amount of experimenting to come out with a racket that you could convince your fellow players to get on board with and it's a space that's really that's dominated correct by you know these established titans in the industry but i read that you guys worked with a japanese racket maestro which i love that's how he was described in the new york times and he article. really is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah he is he is his he name is. his he name is yasu is. sakamoto tell me what that collaboration yes. was like and how you got to a place where you felt you had the racket how did you know okay we, we got it and then how do you go about recruiting people and getting them to leave a racket that they might have been used to playing with for years so number one, uh, you know, I want to tell the listeners, you know, a tennis racket looks like something that's super simple, but it's a very, very complicated piece of equipment. Um, and that's something that I had to learn. So prior to actually co-founding this company, I grew up playing with Prince rackets and um, you could not get me to switch rackets. So that's one of the challenges going into this category that we had to overcome is convincing people who have a long history of playing with particular brands, you know, from, you know, version one, version two, version three, to switch over to a totally new technology, totally new brands. So um, that was our, our task, our challenge. So initially what we, the, actually, the, the, the quick story is, this racket that we actually went to market with wasn't the racket that we're actually gonna um, actually go with. A lot of people don't know that. We actually had, uh, we we're going to license a tech, uh, uh, another type of technology. We, Michelle and I and Yasu, we flew out to Taiwan. This was back in 2017. We met with the owner of this particular technology and we thought we had a gentleman's agreement. Um, and then when we flew back, uh, I would say this was in April, right, Michelle? Yeah. I wouldn't say. And then when we came back in May, about four weeks after, the agreement that we agreed upon was totally different from what they sent us. So we literally had to start off from scratch. So the summer of July of 2017, we literally didn't have a racket. We didn't have a technology. We didn't have anything. So we were literally starting from scratch. So from there, um, Yasu was able through his connections to um, find a particular proprietary technology material that we use in our rackets. And we had to also figure out a way to incorporate that in the tennis racket because it's never been used. So 
we were able to figure that out. So I want to fast forward to November of 2017 when he came, we flew him to New York. We literally had 12 prototype rackets. And we, you know, it's me, him, and uh, two other uh, consultants that uh, one of them, it was Gerald, um, you probably read um, his story. He's part of the story too in, in a New York Times article. And we all literally uh, tried the racket and, and once we felt it, we felt it was something different. Obviously we have two models and one of the models um, needed more tweaking, but we knew we had something different because anything that we wanted to do, we needed to have a oh, ah, this is what we like to feel, you know, like to say. Um, so that was like the beginning stages of what ended up becoming our tennis racket. And how does one go about finding a Japanese racket maestro? Is that something you just Google or how does that happen? <laughs> Honestly, it's it's a little bit of luck and it's just networking. You know, this person knows that person that knows that person. And finally, we landed on him. And it, and it wasn't like, oh, OK, we're, we um, here and his two co-founders from New York City. They want to start a tennis company. And he was like, hey, I want to I want to join. No, we, we literally had to pitch him. And our initial pitch, he actually declined and he said, no, I'm not interested. So we had to literally, again, you know, uh, send him another email and literally just say, hey, you know, we're serious. This is something that we want to do. We have the resources to make it happen. And then he kind of begrudgingly said, OK, let me get on a Skype call. And, and that's kind of how we started to build the relationship. So it wasn't something like, oh, immediately, like, yes. I, you know, he wanted to jump on board. It was a, it was a process. Once you decide on the racket or the two rackets that you've now come out with that give you the ooh-ah feeling, yes. how do you, do you just yeah. go to parks and, and hand the racket to people and say, hey, try this for, just try it for a set, see what happens? What <laughs> happens? <laughs> uh, I mean, kind of, literally, that's, that's kind of how it works. You know, through our networks, we just started to, you know, talk to different people. You know, um, luckily, I have friends who are in the tennis industry, um, someone like, Gerald is a master racket technician, so he had to first approve it, right? And he said it was good. And then from there, he's just asking people, do you play tennis? Do you play tennis? He asked, do you mind trying this tennis racket? Um, and telling them our story. We had, literally, in the beginning, a lot of people told, told us, some people told us we're crazy, <laughs> like literally to our face. Michelle and I were like, wow, okay, you know, we have a tough task ahead of us. Some people were super supportive from the beginning, but it was definitely... Um, it was tough going in the beginning to try to convince people that we're a credible company. You know, this racket is credible. You know, we've been asked, oh, hey, is this a, a legitimate racket? You know, I've been asked that, you know, numerous times. And I, that's just because of the category that uh, tennis is. Right now, you have these awesome rackets out. And I know there's some clothing out there and even more and the performance wear that will come out. Right now, the clothing you have available is for off-the-court fits. Um, yes. so how do you, how did you conceive of, you know, the, there's, there's a very iconic branding. You have the blue fury tennis ball. Um, you have black, which is the total opposite of the country club. Look, what are some of the, yeah. what's some of the thoughts that you've had in terms of the branding and in terms of, uh, in, inviting people into the community, as you were saying, Michelle. Well, with the, with the sport, we wanted to start with sportswear because we needed to get the credibility for the racket. And in order to get the credibility for the racket, we need people to try it and we needed some time for people to actually trust and say, oh, when they bring something to market, it has a reason for being. And that's why the performance is actually the third thing we're doing, because it would be a lot to ask people to trust our technology on both. So right now we're just establishing trust with our consumer. And what's been great about the demos that we've been having, especially since the New York Times article, is people are actually writing notes back. 
um, to say, oh, they love it or, you know, other things of like what they didn't like about it um, to be helpful, but they're taking the time to actually do that, which is one of the greatest things about what we're doing is we have a direct connection with the consumer, which most tennis brands and sports brands don't. So that's actually a big differentiator. When it comes to the, the branding, one thing that we really, really concentrate on is that there are visual cues. So you don't necessarily have to see our name. So if you see orange strings, you pretty much can assume that they're probably ours. The black tennis racket is pretty sleek. If you see um, Phantom, who's our blue tennis ball, if you see, I'm not sure if you saw anything with the back, um, which is the slice of the ball on some of our Fury things this way, we're creating a language that has nothing to do with words. Um, you just see it and you know. And it also makes people a little more comfortable because it's not as tennis centric. And I'm someone who's learning tennis now, but I loved it anyway. And I love to go see it and I love to watch it and I love to be a part of it and I knew about it. And one of the, the kind of inspirations for the sportswear was that here all the players know what they can wear to play tennis, especially when you look at the professionals. But what do you wear when you go? Like, what do you wear when you go to the US Open? What do you go when you go to a tennis tournament? What do you do when you go watch a school? You know, then you wanna look cool and chic and comfortable. But the other part of it is that when you're playing tennis in a city and you're not a member of a club, you're not going to the clubhouse after. You're going out to a bar or to hang out with your friends or to brunch or wherever. And what are you wearing to that? And that's really where the inspiration came from. And I want to touch on a point you mentioned that I think people who are uh, not, not playing tennis regularly might have not picked up on, which is your direct-to-consumer, which is unique for tennis brands because there's not, at least in LA, there's not like a Wilson store I can go to or a Head store I can go to. You go to a pro shop usually to get your tennis stuff. And so the fact that people can come straight to Fury is actually very unique uh, amongst tennis brands. How did you, how did you decide that's, that's, uh, that's the approach that, that you want to lean into um, when you know, everybody else was, was for years and years trying this other thing um, that they seem to be making a ton of money on? <laughs> I think um, you know, one of the things that Michelle and I had spoken about from the beginning is we wanted that direct interaction with the consumer. You know, like, again, as you said, you know, Pro Shop is the primary primary way of purchasing a, a tennis racket or you want to go to one of the big box stores. We just wanted to kind of, you know, take a different approach. Another two, to be honest, as a new brand, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to, um, or like, say, a tennis warehouse or a tennis express to, to take on new brands, you know. Um, so for us, it was like, all right, what is the... I don't want to say the easier way, but what is the channel that we can reach the consumer uh, more quicker? And we felt like the direct to consumer channel was the primary, you know, was the best way for us. You know, um, there's, and, you know, there's not one way that's better. It's just really is up to your business model that works for your brand. Um, so for us, we felt like that was the best way of reaching the consumer. And another thing too, we also wanted from a price perspective, if we went to a pro shop, you know, with the markups and stuff like that, you know, it could be 250 and that's definitely not our, um, the, the word I'm looking for is that's not our business right. model. You know, we want to make our uh, pricing fair. You know, if we believe our quality is up there with a $250 racket, but we also want to price it at a fair price. That's still accessible for most um, consumers. You guys are now knee deep into this. You've come so far since 2017. 
what have been some of the biggest surprises or challenges or maybe shifts in your own perspective and how you approach tennis? I just I love hearing about entrepreneurs learning lessons because I think from the stories I've heard, you go in with certain expectations and you just get completely blown out of the water in cool and unique ways. I'll let Michelle go first. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I think the biggest learning for me is just because you have a good idea doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to get out there. Hmm. And so that was, you know, people think, oh, with Instagram, there's all this instant, you know, people are just going to jump on board. And that's actually not true. And it really, it really does take a lot of different ways of getting out there. But the other thing I think Eric would agree with too, is that we've learned that the authenticity of our message is the most important thing we do. And that's something that we have to guard and manage and be true to every day, because there are simple and easy ways to go and get more attention. And we've made a conscious choice not to do that because building community and authenticity around everything we do is super important. And what's been really gratifying is that the response that we've gotten from the New York Times article has just been incredible. Um, people have been reaching out from all over the country. We have a wait list for demos now for the racket, which is so nice. And we're like, how does someone from Montana hear about this? Like, it's really um, quite, it, it's quite incredible. And the just the encouraging notes and messages and how it resonates with people has just been so rewarding. But I will say that it is much more difficult to get your idea out there. Similar to what Eric was saying, where, you know, we got a lot of naysayers when we first started. We have one person who actually does now play with our racket. But when I approached him, he just looked at me like I was a horrible traveling salesman with encyclopedias. Like he wanted <laughs> nothing to do with me. <laughs> Um, oh yeah and i you know it just it took some time but ultimately he is now a fury player so it's it's been a definite interesting road but i i will say that and fundraising are the two things that have been the most eye-opening to us and I'll, I'll turn it over to eric yeah you know and continuing to what michelle said you know just convincing someone again that your racket is actually good. And, you know, I think there's been a perception again of new, newer companies that are coming out with tennis rackets. A lot of the times they're not, you know, you know, no disrespect to any other brand. They're not good rackets, you know, they, so we had to overcome that challenge. And that was something that, you know, from the beginning we had, and still to this day, you know, it's, it's you know, the credibility is, is starting to come now. But, you know, we still have to overcome those challenges of like, okay, you're doing what? Where are you from? You know, and, and when people hear my story, they're like, okay, you know, what makes you guys tennis experts? Mm -hmm. You know, do you have experience working at Wilson? Do you have experience working at Head? And we're like, no. And, you know, Michelle and I are very transparent and we're very honest. You know, we, we, we give credit to the people that work with us and we say, no, you know, we're not, we didn't design it. We helped conceive it with people who have the expertise right. in the field. You know, and I, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Like, you know, um, a few months ago, a new customer was play testing it. She's like, you know, I tried all different rackets and um, this one is actually, she says, it's not bad. I need, I need more time. And she's like, oh, is this a real racket? And, you know, it, I was taken aback. You know, I was like, in my head, I'm like, what does that mean? Is it a real racket? You know, is this a, you know, is it, you know, legal, you know, legal length and everything? I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's. It's a legal length like any other racket that you see on the market. It's just we're a new brand, you know. Um, and we, so. we kind of took the same approach for the fashion, too. 
Um, yes, I've been in the industry for a long time and Eric definitely has his aesthetic as well, but we also have a really great designer who is in Europe. We use all our factories are in Europe. The fabric comes from Europe. So it's really high quality, incredible, luxurious things to wear, but still at a more approachable price for the quality that it is. Um, and really everyone can wear it, which is what we love about it. It's about a lifestyle. I had a customer who said, well, I'm this age and I don't know if I'm your demographic. And we're like, we are so not about that. We are even our, our you know, designer says we have no archetypes. We just want people to feel good in who they are. I'm struck by how, how sincerely, how genuinely you both have invited people into your community, as well as how you've taken the initiative to, I saw that you sponsor a few players now, junior players, which is so exciting yes. as they're coming up in their tennis careers mm -hmm. and you're going out to urban sports programs. Before we get into rapid fire, I have to ask you to touch on this because this is so meaningful. It's such a great part of what you guys are doing. You know, for me, growing up uh, where I grew up in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, you know, as Michelle said in the beginning, tennis opened up a world for me that I guess if you went and spoke to 10 year old Eric, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed. No, seriously, like I wouldn't believe, you know, the first time, you know, playing an interclub when I was 14, going to Greenwich, Connecticut, I, I didn't believe that people, you know, lived in these, you know, these big houses. So for us, we want to give back and say, hey, you know, um, use me if you want to use me as inspiration use me as inspiration and use a sport, you know, not everyone can play football, not everyone can play basketball. You know, um, if you have the opportunity to, to learn a sport like tennis and get good at it, you can get a college scholarship and you can use just to get out of um, your environment. So for us, you know, working with um, KCTL, one of our first partners has been tremendous, you know, donating rackets. We're getting ready to donate our junior rackets. Um, it, uh, October, our junior rackets. So for us, yeah. Yeah, they should be in by October. So for us, you know, it, it's just giving back and just um, being in, inspiring this next generation of um, youth to use the sport, to uplift them, um, I think is very, very important to us. And then one thing I wanted to, I know we have to go to rapid fire. Another thing that in the future we would like to do is scholarship because we've been approached by certain parents that says, you know, coaching is super expensive. Mm. So we want to eventually have a fund where we actually um, pay um, for coaching for, for kids. I think that's the next step to help get more minorities and um, kids of all backgrounds, regardless of race, but of income, who can't afford like, you know, $150, an hour lesson to give them op that opportunity to uh, play a, a lifelong sport. Amen. That's actually what got me out of playing it for a while when I was a kid. I took weekly lessons every Sunday with a couple other kids and it was so much fun. And then after five years, one of those kids moved and the r remaining kid was much better than me. So I was slowing him down. <laughs> so he went off and did his own thing. And then private lessons just became way too expensive. So this sport that I loved playing every week for five years, I actually stopped for years. And only in the past couple of years have I gotten back into it with friends. I haven't even been doing it as lessons as frequently because, again, it's pretty expensive to find a good coach in New York where you are, in L.A. where I am. And so, amen, it's really nice to hear that. And I'm excited to see, I saw there's a 10-year-old who's now playing with Fury Rackets. Yeah, he just won oh, yeah. another tournament. <laughs> yes. Just won a tournament. Yeah, he just won another tournament. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is awesome to see. I'm excited to see the juniors rising and, and more, more young kids having the opportunity to play. So, and yeah. Ben, and we have to also I was get just thinking the same thing, and we have to introduce him to James. He can take lessons with James in LA. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. You guys have me very excited now. On that happy note, we'll dive into rapid fire real quick. I'm nervous. And I'm going to ask you both, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? For me, it would be the ability to fly. (laughs) Because as a kid, Superman was my uh, hero, and I would love to fly. I'm going to make mine simple and say play tennis. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Kenya. I want to go on a safari. So Kenya. And for me, it's Japan. That's our number one answer. That's our most common answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's mine. It's mine too. Um, And lastly, what's a song you like to jam to? Because we have a Spotify playlist where we add each of our guest song recommendations. So if there's a song you're jamming to Uh right now or just a go-to jam, what can we add to the playlist for you, Eric and Michelle? I'll let Michelle go first. I'm just thinking about a song that kind of has characterized the last few years and continues to characterize today, which, you know, is a classic, but it always like moves me if I need some energy and that's, uh, let's go crazy. <laughs> All right. always like helps get my head going. <laughs> Amazing. So the jam I'm jamming to right now, there's so many different songs. It just depends on my mood, but actually, um, since it's going to be in a playlist, it's seeing green. Uh, it's uh, Nicki Minaj, Little Wayne, and Drake. It's uh, uh, pretty. It just came out. Amazing. Recently. Well, those will be going on HDYD Jams on Spotify. Yeah. Thank you for those contributions. <laughs> and lastly, where can people follow Fury? Keep up with all the things you are up to. Just plug all the things there are to plug, please. Oh, okay, so you can find our website actually at www.fury and it's spelled F-U-R-I sport.com because a lot of people think it's f-u-r-y but no it's actually f-u-r-i sport.com you can follow us on instagram at fury sport again f-u-r-i s-p-o-r-t and then you can uh, follow our off the court line which is called the tfp excuse me which means the fury project and you can follow that at shop tfp Awesome. I actually didn't know what the TFP stood for, so I'm glad I, I'm glad I learned. Okay. Um, I, was, I was trying to figure it out, so thank you. And if you're curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. Eric and Michelle, thank you so much. This was so cool. I'm a tennis geek re- uh, of late, of the past couple of years, just diving into all this stuff, and it's so cool to be able to talk to you both who are in it, who are coming out with your own rackets, your own tennis gear. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben, for having us. Have a great day. Thank you. I hope you found value in today's conversation. If you still haven't left your review for How Do You Do Podcast, I'm going to walk you through the process right now, and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says, How Do You Do Podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says, Listen on Apple Podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link. Click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews and all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five-star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that and I really truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers and I'll see you back here next week.